You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. All right, we're moving to uh, Hebrews today. We've been going through the liturgy and uh, Shane Claiborne's Common Prayer, which you can keep up with us, commonprayer.net, if you want to go through it every day. We uh, often share devotionals on our Facebook page of things that are going on. But Hebrews, strange book. Nobody knows who wrote it. There's been some suggestions that have been thrown out there, but this person really knew their Bible. And uh, in today's particular passage, they get deep into the concept of Jesus and his blood and the tabernacle. And so I'm going to read some of Hebrews to you uh, quite a bit today. I'm going to be Hebrews 9, starting in verse 11. Do your best to track with it. I'm in the ESV if you're uh, reading along. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established for a will takes effect only at death since it is not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law has been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as a high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he's appeared once and for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for the man to die once and after comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. 
It's a lot of Hebrews for you. And uh, honestly, I wish I could have started even sooner, but you would have boop, turned, <laughs> tuned out entirely. Hebrews, you got to remember, the Bible is not written in little cherry-picking quotes. Like, they're writing entire letters, and you just grabbed right at the end of Hebrews. There's so much more that he's riffing off of that he's already said. But for us, a lot of it just sounds like gibberish. Because we don't have tabernacles. We don't have tents where people go in and we all know that they're about to go in there and kill some animal and that somehow this is going to make us all clean. We're not used to that. That's not our paradigm. That's not what we do. And if we saw you do that, we'd probably report you to the police and you might end up in jail. You know, like it's completely different paradigm here in America and even within religion, like we're not used to those kinds of things. But for them, there is something about blood. Something about blood that, that purified. Something about blood that could save us from sins. And there was something about the tabernacle that was a very special place. I don't know if you've seen Stranger Things or not, but the thing that is pictured in that show is that underneath us, there's like an exact replica of 1208 Greenwood, except it's dark and creepy. That's kind of how they work. It's like there's an underworld and it's like it's upside down. It's the upside down is literally what they call it. But it's it's like if we just flip flop to the other side, you'd find almost like a hellish version of where we are right now with creepy things. The Bible kind of talks about heaven like that, but completely backwards. <laughs> the idea of heaven is is that right now. When you walk into the tabernacle in the Old Testament, you were walking into heaven. That if you were to somehow flip the tabernacle upside down, what you would find is not like a creepy, demonic, hellish place, but you would find a beautiful, holy, heavenly place that you were standing in at the same moment that you were standing on earth. In the tabernacle, they had different rooms, and the room at the most center of it was a place where God actually was thought to physically be. Yes, his throne is in heaven, but heaven's in like the upside down of the tabernacle. And so when you walked into that space and you saw the Ark of the Covenant, you were supposed to understand that was where God sat. God wasn't inside of the Ark of the Covenant. A lot of times we take our theology from Indiana Jones, <laughs> where you open that thing and it's creepy angels come out and melt your faces off but in in the actual ark of the covenant it was a seat you know like uh like in aladdin that boom, ba -da -boom, ba -da -boom, boom, boom, you know what i'm talking about all right well, thank you somebody somebody has seen old cartoons they got the like sticks that are holding the chair that aladdin's like sitting on in the back that's what the ark of the covenant is they would pick it up they'd heave it up and god is sitting on his seat Surrounded by his protecting angels as they move his chair around. And so when you went into that space, you were supposed to understand like God actually lives and dwells right here in this spot. As far as all the sacred places on the earth, this is the one where he is. And it's so sacred. It's so special that we know God is holy and God is righteous. And you wouldn't want to just send anybody into that space. Because what if somebody is just like willingly committing all of these really deep sins and dark atrocities, walked into such a holy spot like that where God was actually sitting, what would happen to them? And in the Jewish mind, 
It was like if you walked in that space, you just like die instantly. If you were that like unholy, unrighteous, that far disconnected from God, like you, you wouldn't even survive. There was Jewish legends. We don't find this in the Bible, but legends that they would tie a rope around the high priest's ankle. Because what if this guy, whose job was to try to be as as put together as he could, what if he went in there and he died? Like you'd have to pull the body back out because you didn't want to go back in there to check it out. I don't, my professor would always joke like, "What would happen? Would you just like pull it back out an ankle?" Be like, ah! you know, like I don't know. It's a creepy spot. God's on the other side, but it's not creepy in a scary way it's creepy in a like god's awesomeness is here that awe that wonder but also that almost kind of like fear of god's greatness at the same time that is what the tabernacle was like when i walk into the tabernacle i walk into a spiritual space that like if i could see it from the upside down i'd be walking around in, in god's presence He'd be sitting right there, and his angels would be right there, and the divine council would be right there, and all of God's beings, heavenly beings, the heavenly host would be right there. So the priest's job once a year was to go into that sacred space, only once a year because that was a fearful place, go in there once a year and take the blood of an animal and put it in there, and that blood, which covered sins in their minds would then be offered as a way to to cover all of the un unintentional sins that all of God's people had committed over the last year for all the other sins you would often have to buy a different kind of animal that costs more money based on the kind of sin you had committed so that you were paying up for the kind of weight of of what you had committed and then you would come and you'd bring it to that place and it would be prepared as a sacrifice and then you would eat it in that place as though you were sitting down in God's presence and having a meal with him, trying to get things back on track, trying to restore the relationship. Just like you do when people uh, sin against you. You do things to get back on a good page with them. You might eat with them, sit with them, have dinner with them to have a conversation, things like that. That's kind of what the tabernacle was like. You were going in God's presence so your family could have a meal to restore the relationship. Now, when Hebrews looks at all these old traditions around the tabernacle and around blood, around the high priest, that one guy who was supposed to be the holiest one of everybody, because he had to go into that kind of fearful, holy space, the author of Hebrews looks at all that and he's like, Jesus has changed so much. He's changed so much. Jesus was the high priest. He was the anointed one. He was the one with the Holy Spirit upon him, the eternal spirit upon him. He was the one who got it all right. He was the holy and righteous one who was safe enough to go into God's presence. But he wasn't just like the priest because the priest would have always sinned eventually because they're humans. So even though that high priest might have had it more together than other people, he definitely still messed up. But the author of Hebrews goes on to be like, Jesus, he, was, he had no blemish. He had no sins. He was the human of humans, the one who got everything right, the one guided by the Holy Spirit. So when he went into that space, he was like the high priest of all high priests. 
that if anyone belong in that safe and be safe uh, that space and be safe jesus was the one but then he looks at jesus on the cross and he recognizes that jesus's blood has been poured out that jesus has become a sacrifice for us and the bible tries to echo that the fact that jesus um uh, is giving people his body and his blood as a way to remember what he has done for us. That's what we call communion. We do that here. We do that every month. But Jesus prepared that during Passover. Passover was a, a celebration where there was a sacrificed animal that represented blood redeeming people. So Jesus plays right into this. And the author of Hebrews looks at that and he's like, this isn't just like Jesus wasn't a goat. Jesus wasn't a sheep. He wasn't a cow. He wasn't those kinds of things that we've always kind of used as sacrifices. But he was the, the human without blemish. He was the perfect one, the sinless one. And that kind of blood, like that's, that's a glorious kind of human blood. And humans are at the top of the hierarchy of God's creation. And this isn't tainted sinful blood this is like the most perfect precious kind of blood there could ever be there could never be better blood than the blood of jesus if blood in their minds redeemed you then there could never be something more redemptive than jesus's own blood so the author of hebrews looks at jesus he's not only the high priest that entered that space and was safe there but he's also the sacrifice that the high priest took once a year into that space and sprinkled it on God's mercy seat. And so, when Jesus does this, he redeems the tabernacle of the earth. But Hebrews goes farther than that. Because Jesus has been resurrected. And so here's this crazy thing that the high priest was never capable of doing, even on his best days. The high priest might have been able to go into that room and sprinkle the blood once a year. Jesus has gone in and sprinkled the most perfect blood, but Jesus didn't just do that on the earth. Jesus then died and was resurrected and walked into the upside down. He walked into the actual real tabernacle. So it's almost like if we were to imagine Jesus walking into the tabernacle where all these old actions went down, and here's the earth on top and heaven on bottom. You would see Jesus in mirrored action walking into both. On both sides of the veil. In heaven and earth. The high priest was never able to get into the real thing. He was always in a copy. An earthly copy of heaven. But Jesus walks through the earthly copy into the real actual place. And then his blood is used, not just on the things that we made on earth, not just on God's covenant, but he goes straight into God's actual throne room where God's actual mercy seat is, and his blood goes there. And that's what Revelation paints a picture of. That when they're trying to figure out who's going to fix the world, who can see into God's plans, they imagine a lamb, not a lion. People are always talking about Jesus as the lion and the lamb, which is true because they hear a roar. So Jesus is the lion. But when John kind of peeks around the angels to see the lion, he sees only the lamb. 
the sacrificial lamb. In Revelation, Jesus is pictured as a lamb hobbling up to the glorious throne where the blood belongs. And he redeems the whole world. And he is deemed worthy to be in that space. And so he purifies not only the earth, but he also purifies the heavens. And so God's blood, the very own blood of his son, becomes the blood that changes everything. This is why the church is so um, indignant on this idea, like you, you cannot save yourself. There is nothing you can do that will save you. It has to be by God's blood alone, by Jesus' blood. Because your blood will never match that. Your blood will never be as perfect and holy and righteous as that. Your blood will never enter into heaven to redeem the heavens. It's only Jesus' blood. That's it. His blood speaks the better word. No matter how much turmoil and toil that you go through, your blood will not fix it. Now at the same time, Jesus, when he calls us to follow him, he asks us to lean into all of those kinds of works and efforts that is true of anyone who's going to be faithful to him. But it's not your works and efforts that save you, though they are required to get in. It is only his blood that saves you. And so when we go about trying to find all those different kinds of things to save us, we often find ourselves empty and sometimes filled up with all the wrong things. I've met several people now who were interested in spirituality, but kept feeling like the church was messing things up so much that they're like, that can't be the spot. That can't be the one. And so they would go and chase after all of these other religions, all these other ways of spirituality, all these other things that had strange supernatural effects around them. And because it was supernatural, they figured, well, this might be the real thing. This must be the real thing. I'll keep following it. Whereas they kept going into those false things, they just found themselves in more bondage. They found those things leading them into more sin. They found their life polluted all the more. The things that they thought were answers before suddenly were not answers anymore. I've met people that have had these surreal moments where it's as though something spiritual appeared to them and told them what to do. And I can tell you the things that they were told to do were so far from what the blood of Jesus cries that, yes, they heard something supernaturally, but it was not Jesus. And it's not until hindsight, much later, where they look back at that and they, they just feel like, I got to repent. I got to leave this false stuff behind. I want into the real tabernacle. I want into the real supernatural. I want into the real spiritual thing. People are hungry for that. There was a phase of American-ism. <laughs> there was a phase here in America where people were just kind of chasing after science, but I feel like that phase is, is starting to pass. People are hungry for real spirituality. And if they don't see it in you, they'll search after the other things. 
If they don't see the blood of Jesus in you that redeems, the one that truly puts things right, they'll try to find a different kind of blood. They'll try to find a different way to get there. But when we show people the better way, when we show people the only way, that'll mess them up. Person I've been working with chased all the other ways and recently just told me like it's this I need to come back to Jesus. This is where I need to be. All that other stuff I didn't realize how messed up I was getting. But all that other stuff really feared Jesus. As the one connection some people can make when they're chasing after other spirituality, all the other kind of things out there. They're really not fond of Jesus. They're open to anything else. Because they want to turn you toward anything but Jesus. But Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. And when we turn to him now, we don't just find resurrection later. We don't just find um, the kinds of things that we're hoping for later when we finally die and get to the new creation. Jesus actually starts those works here and now. Because the tabernacle changes into something new. As Jesus dies and his blood is shed on the earth, it's almost as though the Pharisees saw him enter into heaven. When they were standing in the tabernacle that they had at the time, and the giant curtain that separated God's sacred presence where the high priest could go was ripped open. As though Jesus had just ripped open the curtain on the other side of the upside down and just walked inside. What would you do with that image? The Bible says when Jesus died that the curtain in the tabernacle was ripped open and he walked in. And I also like to imagine the Holy Spirit then being poured out of that place into Christians. Into God's followers. Because from then on out, the tabernacle is not a building. It's not a tent. The tabernacle evolves into the new form of Christian bodies. That the same Holy Spirit whose presence was found in that sacred place where the high priest goes is now found in you. And that where you go, you take the Holy Spirit with you. Where you go, you take heaven with you. The upside down of God's presence is now inside of you. And that's why you can believe in such a crazy statement like in Jackson as it is in heaven because you are filled with that presence that used to only be restrained to the tabernacle. Jesus might be the high priest, but guess what he calls you? A royal priesthood. Priest's jobs are basically to kind of like mediate between heaven and earth. In other words, you walk into heaven, you ask God what's up, you figure out what you need to do, and then you come back to earth. You have the potential to do that right here inside of yourself because that's where the Holy Spirit is. That's where the tabernacle is. This is why I teach so many people to plug into the Holy Spirit because this is your job. This is what you were born to do. This is your birthright. Is the first fruits of what is to come. I love helping people figure out what the Holy Spirit sounds like 
so that they can go to heaven for a moment as a citizen, as a priesthood, grab what they need from God, and come back to earth to do what God's called them to do. And when we do that, by the blood of Jesus alone, the world starts to change. So God, I, I bring this royal priesthood before you all across Jackson, but um, specifically in this building this morning. We've heard your words out of Hebrews, and we are hungry for more. God, I think of the Christian mystics of old who did such a good job at trying to get after the presence of God through the Holy Spirit inside of them, and they often found it, and the kinds of stories that they left behind are so emotionally powerful as they chase after your intimacy, but also physically powerful as the miracles they did are so beyond our comprehension that we often look at them and just think that they're legend, that they must have never happened. But I have an inkling they did because there's just too many stories of legend left behind. God, that's the kind of way that we can live and breathe when we become the tabernacle that you have designed us to be. You are making us holy right now. You are giving us the power to do good works. You are giving us the strength to live into the kind of perfection you're calling us toward. Not just later, but even now. That we can, we can now say that we have the power to overcome sin and death. That when sin comes our way and gives us another temptation, we can say, by the blood of Jesus, I have a, a different spirit than the sinful one, and I can turn toward the real thing and find the redemption that I'm looking for because this fruit is greater and more beautiful. That every day we can wake up like Jesus who would pray where his disciples weren't and figure out from God what the mission for the day was as though he would enter into the heaven that was a tabernacle inside of himself, get his instructions, and then carry them out. The disciples would come up and say, let's head back to the town that we were in yesterday, and Jesus would respond, no, 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 we've got somewhere else we're going today, right after a prayer session. God, may we be led by you in that way, through dreams, through visions, through prayer. May the fullness of what the tabernacle was always supposed to be come to fruition through your spirit in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.